0: Are you following? You know, this trial confuses me. It's not even—I don't even know if it's the right thing to call it a trial. It's going to be a trial, but the um, the Susanna Barry Morphew thing—we've talked about it a couple of times. Have you followed the recent drama there?
1: Just a little bit. I see it kind of come in and out of the news.
0: You had uh, you had mentioned something a, a long time ago. Uh, you had mentioned to me that there was something weird about the DNA, and then there, you know. So they finally arrested him. It took a, a really long time, and I guess maybe do you, is that a case that people
1: don't I don't know, know about?
0: So okay, let I me. Th- I
1: mean, she had like a. It was it was national coverage at a certain point, and then uh, I know that he when he he's out on bail, right?
0: Uh, I. Th- Think so. I think he's currently out on bail.
1: Yeah, and that was weird. Like in, I believe it was like late September, he got bail, and it was a tremendous amount of bail.
0: Yeah. So um, on Mother's Day of 2020, a Colorado mother of two named Suzanne Morphew, Morphew, M-O-R-P-H-E-W, um, she disappeared, and she has yet to be found. But uh, there was a lot of uh, speculation that her husband had killed her um, her bicycle was found a helmet was found uh, I sort of looked at it and I wondered if it wasn't an animal attack and I know we talked about it in terms of the podcast a little we did bit
1: on two bears repeating oh, bears repeating yes
0: <laughs> you remember that uh, that's
1: uh, one of my favorite episodes yeah I mean so, it's bad, but yeah <laughs> the name of the episode
0: so uh the, the way that, like, we come to find out about this case is a, a neighbor calls, uh, they can't find Suzanne, they call her husband, they call, and then they end up calling 911. He, uh, being the husband, Mr. Uh, Barry Moore, if you, is her husband, he had been in Denver working on a project, and he got a phone call from the neighbor. Uh,
1: I think that it went, he called the neighbor. It's not a big deal, but it's sort of relevant.
0: Well, I was just so I was going from the background of the court motion that I'm looking at and like this, it basically says she went missing on her about May 9th through 10th, 2020. Initially, a neighbor raised concerns when he was unable to locate her. The neighbor contacted her husband, Barry Morphu, as well as the authorities and Mr. Morphu owns a landscaping business and was in the Denver area working on a project when he received the phone call. So that's the, that's the opening to this. Take this with a grain of salt, but this is the court's order.
1: Um, as you recall, did he, I, my understanding was the girls couldn't get a hold of their mom for Mother's Day. He couldn't get a hold of her. So he calls the neighbor to go check and see if she's at home. And then he's like, well, see if her bike's there.
0: That sounds familiar to me.
1: Okay. Well, I'm not saying uh, that you're wrong. I know you're just regurgitating from what <laughs> you're looking at, but it it is sort of relevant because it, he's the one who, uh, the husband would be the one who initially raises the flag. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's either the husband or the neighbor that, and I'll go with either way because that's not what's like, uh, got me talking about this today. So, uh, this, this is a case that's going to go to trial. It does look like, uh, I just want to clear one thing up. Uh, you said, is he out on bail? It does appear that he is out on bail. It's a pretty high bail that he put up, a cash-only $500,000 bail. Um, there was something related to an ankle monitor issue that um, that came up. So basically, at this point in time, he's awaiting uh, trial. And, but he's out. Uh, it looks like he is out, and it looks like he's allowed to travel to some degree. There's rulings in here from uh, January and February of this year. This is the ruling that was um, interesting to me. Uh, So, first of all, there was a judge named Judge Murphy. And he had heard testimony and argument on this case in 2021. He had heard uh, in August 2021 and then November 2021. And then there was a continuance into December 2021. He was hearing all of the early... Uh, motions and hearings that happened in a homicide case in this jurisdiction in Colorado. This is uh, in Fremont County, which is the court. There is in Canon city, Colorado. So weirdly um, on December 14th, he had continued what they were hearing from the attorneys to December 14th, 2021. Judge Murphy was presented with a motion to disqualify himself. And this was the day they were supposed to hear a discovery motion. So the chief justice there ends up assigning this case to a new judge. Um, and this judge presided over multiple hearings, uh, starting with, uh, January 24th and 25th of 2022, February 1st, 2022, February 10th, 2022, February 24th, 2022, and March 4th, 2022. And this is sort of a wrap-up briefing, which is weird to me to hear all of that and to realize that this is only a 20-page briefing. And this is Colorado versus Barry Morphew. This is his order as of April the 8th, 2022. Uh, The background, I had started to read uh, some of the information from there, for you, But that's not what's interesting about this case. Ramsey uh, Lama is the, the judge hearing this. It's just a district court judge at this point. This is not quite ready like for trial stuff. You had said to me a long time ago, you were like, there's something going on with the DNA there. And then a little later, you were like, I am pretty sure that they got a DNA hit. And then you came back and you said, well, I don't know if they got a DNA hit, but it looks like they found DNA other than Barry Morphew. And then you kind of wrapped it up and you're like, I don't know exactly what's happened, but I think they found DNA from someone who hit ENCODIS inside her car. When you said that, I was like, well, that's interesting. You know, that's like, that's reasonable doubt in some ways if you're a good right. defense attorney.
1: Almost, but then there were, there are innocent explanations for that uh, particular, like finding somebody's uh, DNA randomly in a vehicle.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely, and that's that's sort of where I'm headed with this. So there's questions raised in this order about like some cell phone data. There's uh, questions about where Barry was when and his locations with regard to Suzanne's disappearance. But that's not what's interesting to me. This is the this is the interesting part. In the summer of 2020, Colorado Bureau of Investigation forensic analysis determined there was foreign, unna- unknown male DNA on various items on what was considered to be the crime scene. The interior cushion of the bike helmet, Mrs. Morphew's bike, the glove box and back seat of Mrs. Morphew's Range Rover. They then work to exclude, uh, this is uh, Mr. Morphew is being excluded by the CBI. Uh, Other investigative personnel working the scene were also excluded, meaning people who had been handling things there. Colorado Bureau of Investigation Agent Joseph Cahill was a lead investigator who was assigned to assist the local authorities. So this is the state guy who comes out to assist the Chaffee County Sheriff's Office, where this has all happened here in Garfield. Uh, there, he's specifically there to in, in, investigate Miss Morfew's disappearance. Communication logs with the Forensic Laboratory Division of the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, or the CBI, indicated that Agent Cahill had come to believe the DNA sample found in Mrs. Morphew's car belonged to suspects who may have perpetrated the crime. In turn... Uh, the CBI analysts determined the partial genetic profile combined with the investigation warranted uploading the sample into CODIS, which is, we've talked about many times, it's a Nationwide DNA uh, Database and Clearinghouse. It's the acronym for the Combined DNA Index System. That's the generic term used to describe this FBI program that supports uh, uh, criminal justice DNA databases, and it's the software that runs the databases. CODIS contains DNA samples of convicted offenders nationwide, along with unknown samples from unsolved crimes in active investigations. On May 29th, 2021, Agent Cahill, along with other law enforcement personnel, received a CODIS match letter indicating the unknown male DNA, partially matched DNA found in three out-of-state unsolved sexual assault investigations in Tempe, Phoenix, and Chicago. The letter letter further indicated that due to the limited genetic profile, this is only a lead and further investigation would be necessary. Okay, so any one of those things, like the DNA found on the back of the Range Rover or found, you know, whatever, that's one thing. I don't consider that to be reasonable doubt that there's male DNA at what they're considering to be the crime scene, which in this case is her Range Rover. Um, at her house. It's not interesting. What's interesting is that it matches three out-of-state unsolved sexual assault investigations in Tempe, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, and Chicago, Illinois.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a partial match.
0: It is a uh, partial genetic profile. Hmm. Let's see how they phrase this. So they made a partial genetic profile out of the DNA found from the bike helmet cushion, uh, her bike, the glove box and backseat of Mrs. Morpheus uh, range Rover. So that's basically at least four places. They have somehow made a partial genetic profile out of it and it matches. It's not a partial match. It's a partial profile that partially matches DNA found in three out of state. So,
1: Okay. Um, it doesn't
0: match Barry Morphew, but right. it matches someone who okay. may either be or be related to.
1: Okay. Well, what I heard was so they're either going to get a profile or they're not going to get a profile. I'm not really sure what a partial profile would mean um, because, like, how do you get a partial profile? Right.
0: I'm just telling you what the word says in this order.
1: I understand that. I am not really I w- wasn't really asking you. Oh, I, I was, gotcha. just, was rhetorical. I was <laughs> just expl- <laughs> I was just explaining like either you have a profile or you don't. Now, to the extent you're looking at what you're testing there, I mean, uh there is no like you can't get a skin cell off of someone that it either is going to give you the DNA profile or it's not going to give it to you, right? Right. Anything that you pick up as evidence, it's either going to have it or not. And so uh, what I heard when you were reading that out loud was that it's a relative. That's what I heard. I heard that the profiles uh, that they pulled in, now I'm assuming, and this is a big assumption, they all matched each other, right? The profiles from the six different places or whatever that they got from the crime scene and the helmet and uh, where else was it? The,
0: the Range Rover, right? So, Did so the the bike, the helmet, and the car—like multiple places in the car.
1: Okay, and so all those matched each other, right? I I didn't I, hear it said, I'm gonna but go with I'm, maybe. Ass- I'm assuming that all those matched each other. Okay, <laughs> I didn't, I haven't heard it said, but it—the logical assumption is that they've got this one profile, right?
0: Yeah, foreign unknown male DNA. Okay. That seems to match according to what they're saying here.
1: Okay, and so they they add that to CODIS. I assume they added the one profile to CODIS. And from that, it you know cuz unsolved evidence uh of crimes that are unsolved, the evidence gets put in and it's run against the uh profiles of known perpetrators, right? constantly it's constantly looking for matches. And so it hit on these uh, cases in CODIS as a partial match, which means depending on what how much of a partial match it is, for example, if it's a 50% match, that means that the perpetrator of um, Suzanne's, well, actually, I shouldn't say that, the evidence that came from Suzanne's case, Uh, is either going to it's going to be a child or a parent it's going to have that type of relationship because the only person you typically have a 50% DNA match with is your parent okay and then if it's more of like a quarter percent uh, it could be a sibling right right? and so in this case uh, I don't know what it is if they're doing touch DNA it could just be that somebody touched this right
0: yeah
1: um, you know, and so you're going to go from there. So a partial match, depending on where it is, is going to indicate a level of relation and, uh, it, they need to do the genetic genealogy part of this to figure out one or the other yeah. and go from there to figure out who now, in it's my opinion at uh, the, it, the DNA is in too many places um, for it not to be. I don't know that it's relevant to her death, but it's in too many places to not figure it out. Right. And if they figure it out, they can then, you know, from there deduce whether this person was innocently involved in Suzanne's life somehow, or if it's her killer. Right. Yeah. And And then in the meantime, they'll also solve these other cases because they'll be able to determine from either one of the samples, if they do the genetic genealogy and they can match it to someone known, they will be able to trace the lineage based on the amount that they match, right? And so I am not entirely sure what the holdup is here.
0: (laughs) Well, okay. So there's more to this. Uh, Sometime in late April, uh, CBI detectives that were working on the case They became aware that uh, Chaffee County Sheriff's Office was going to arrest Barry Morphew, charging him with uh, Suzanne Morphew's murder. Agent Cahill and Agent Graham strongly opposed the arrest of Barry Morphew, citing the need for more forensic testing and evidence collection in general. They both believed that the arrest would be premature, and they raised their concerns with Kirby Lewis, who is the head of the Major Crimes Division of the Colorado Bureau of Investigation. He, in turn, uh, took those concerns to Deputy Director Chris Schaefer, and Mr. Schaefer called the uh, Chaffee County Sheriff, who was a guy named uh, John Spezzi. I guess you pronounce it Spezzi as S-P-E-Z-Z-E. He advised him against arresting uh, Mr. Morpheel at that time. He expressed the concerns of Agents Hill and Graham, it's the first time in the deputy director's career that he ever called a sheriff about holding off on a decision to arrest an individual. Uh, Shortly thereafter, uh, CBI director, John camper called the sheriff and he reiterated the Bureau's concerns with arresting uh, Barry Morphew on May 4th, 2021, Alex Walker, Uh, He's a commander of the sheriff's office there. He authored a 129-page affidavit in support of the arrest of Barry Morphew on suspicion of homicide, along with other charges. This affidavit states numerous agents from CBI had reviewed and edited the affidavit, but failed to state that the Bureau did not support the arrest of Mr. Morphew. Notably, as of May 4, 2021, law enforcement had still not determined the source of the unknown male DNA found throughout the crime scene. So keep that in mind. That's as of May 4th, 2021. The affidavit failed to inform the judge of this DNA's existence, and uh, Barry Morfu was excluded as the source, so it didn't include either of those two facts, one being that the DNA is definitely at the scene, and two, that Barry is not the contributor. Ultimately, Chief Judge Murphy found probable cause and set a no-bond hold as requested by the uh, affiant, and... Chaffee County Sheriff's Office arrested Mr. Morphew on May 5th, 2021. Uh, On May 19th, 2021, the the people, and in this particular document, the people means the prosecution's office and everyone affiliated with it. They disclosed a CODIS match letter to the defense indicating the unknown source of the DNA may be linked to other unsolved out-of-state sexual assaults. Meanwhile, Mr. uh, Morphew remained in custody, unable to post bond, pending his preliminary hearing and his hearing to determine whether the proof was evident and presumption was great. Um, So, a bond hearing of this type is typically reserved for those accused of first-degree murder. In the months leading up to and and during the preliminary hearing, the prosecution had three meetings with law enforcement and CBI analysts to discuss the meaning of the CODIS match, its significance, and to follow up uh, the investigation to rule out potential sources of the DNA Information tended to negate the guilt of the accused was discussed, but nothing was reduced to writing and disclosed to the defense in any of the three meetings. So what that means is this while everything's going on, preparing for the preliminary hearing, the lawyers for the state, the district attorneys, they are having conversations with law enforcement and CBI analysts about this CODIS match. And they are basically, they're theorizing what it could mean. And like This would be the development of what would be called exculpatory evidence. But rather than report on it or do anything about it, they decide they're just going to talk about it. And according to what they're saying in all these meetings between the sheriff and the CBI and the lawyers, they don't write anything down at all. They said that nothing is reduced to writing. Therefore they don't have to disclose anything to the defense from these three meetings So when the preliminary hearing commenced on August 9th, it lasted four days. And the people called included all of the, the people we were just talking about, the people who wrote the affidavits. That would be Alex Walker. And then they called a man named Kenneth Harris, Jonathan Grusing, a guy named Derek Graham, a guy named Andy Roderick, and a guy named Kevin Kobach. The prosecution did not elicit any testimony concerning the foreign male DNA from those witnesses. The defense ultimately calls agent Cahill of the CBI to present the information to the court and the court reserved the ruling. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, Barry Morphew, whether he did it or not now, will never, ever, 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 ever be found guilty without it immediately being overturned by the Colorado court of appeals because of how they did this.
1: Right. And, uh, just to sort of, uh, just briefly, because I don't really, we don't really talk about like, bureaucracy, but um, there's an issue when you've got multiple agencies uh, basically saying, don't make the arrest, don't make the arrest, don't make the arrest. And then in defiance of all that discussion, uh, the arrest is made. Right. <laughs> um, because while it is the job of, uh, I, and, and that's not speaking to Barry Morphe's guilt or innocence, it doesn't matter. But One of those sides of that situation is incorrect, but it's, I mean, disrespectful, I guess. It it it, goes against
0: procedure, but it's it's illegal is what it is.
1: Well, I don't know that it's illegal because ultimately it went through, right? But I'm talking on a different level here. Let's talk about, like, all the people charged with, like, keeping... Uh, people safe, therefore arresting murderers, right? Uh, Right. We don't even know for certain. I mean, the presumption is that Suzanne is unfortunately passed on, Right. right? Okay. And so, but her body has not been recovered. And so when you've got all these people getting together, you know that the ones that were saying, hold off on the arrest, it wasn't because they necessarily thought Barry was innocent, right? They weren't saying it because they were his buddy, right? They were saying it because this is a huge deal here, which it's fascinating to me that the points of uh, where the unknown DNA was collected are so many. Because initially it had just been like one place. Right. uh, Released, anyway. Whatever's happening there, uh, you know, the sheriff's an elected official. I'm not really sure. I think the other ones would be just like job positions in law enforcement and prosecution possibly. But um, I think that the sheriff probably needs to be replaced. I hate to say that, but um, that gun-ho attitude ignoring his peers in this whole situation, there's not a person on earth that should be arrested in this situation as you've read it out here. And so it's not, this isn't just about Barry Morphew. This is about a situation where you've got DNA evidence in six different spots that are, uh, they're far enough apart that it's not coincidence because you're talking about the helmet and the car and the bike. Right. Yeah. And so somebody left DNA behind in those situations. Now, is it the killer well who knows but they didn't find 10 unknown male dnas right yeah they found one unknown male dna and that's really important because that take because if it's a coincidental situation that's where you're going to have a bunch of weird profiles showing up Right, yeah. And there's going to be some sort of weird explanation for it that has nothing to do with the crime, more than likely, or her disappearance, more than likely. But it's those situations where you've got that one DNA profile showing up, right? right? Because that's just, if it's going to be a coincidence, it's going to be a wide-open coincidence. And when it gets narrowed down like that, you're looking at a situation like, well... This person left, you know, their DNA somehow and as soon as they find out who it is, they can find out what the deal is, right? I mean, one way or the other, they can find out how it got there. But uh no arrest should have been made at this point based on that information unless, which I haven't seen it anywhere, Unless they have done due diligence in somehow discounting it. And I'm afraid that with a partial match in CODIS, which is exactly what the system is designed for, right? Right. With a partial match in CODIS showing up for sexual assault cases in other states, I'm going to find it really hard that they did enough due diligence to justify the arrest in the face of the objections from law enforcement and the prosecution. The sheriff just went against what they had to say and arrested him anyway. I'd love to know how they discounted this evidence besides the fact that they gray rocked it. That's what they did. They gray rocked it. They pretended it wasn't there. Right? Yeah, they did. So, so, so how do we trust anything that they do?
0: We can't at this point. We cannot trust anything related to this particular. Um, it really
1: makes me mad. This type of situation really makes me mad because, you know, if he did kill her,
0: he's gonna. He's not gonna potentially get away with it. And the only other way, it's like, there's some location data stuff that comes up that's interesting. But truthfully, the only way that. This goes down where they get a conviction is if he hired whoever that person is, then they like if so, they could basically spin this and say, we didn't know what to do with this because it didn't fit anything else we had. And it turns out that the defendant hired this other guy. So now there's a and, and even if they lose, they can charge them with conspiracy to commit murder.
1: Right, but regardless of, like, what actually happened, they've got enough information to find the person and find out what they have to say about it. Yes. I mean, unless they just say, well, we're not going to talk. And at that point, I mean, they would have to be arrested as well because it is so uh, prevalent. Because, you know, again, I initially thought it was in one place, and I, I believe... I read that it was on the glove box of her car and my point of view on that was well that could have been like the mechanic that pulled her registration out of there when she got her car uh, inspected right something like that but this whole thing like with all these different places as long as that profile matches now, if they don't match, that's a different story, but the way I inferred what was being said was there was one unknown male DNA profile found, and it was in all these different places, and that it had a, uh, several CODIS hits, right? That's how you understand it, too, right? Yeah. And so that's not a situation where it was the mechanic pulling the registration out of the car. And, but see, without that information, we don't know that.
0: We don't, but the thing is, they're not like yeah, because they're not all in the car.
1: Like, right. Which, but initially when it came up, I didn't think it was as big of a deal because it was just the one spot that they were talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could picture something where her car and helmet were with her Range Rover, and like, I, like there are ways to investigate this. And to shut it down as an avenue for reasonable doubt, but they didn't do that. What they did instead was, and this goes on. It's like I said, this is a 20 page document and it goes on. Uh, and the ultimate conclusion is after these other 20 pages, I talked about maybe two of them. Uh, the judge basically says that he does find that the people are engaging in a a continuing pattern of an inability and failure to comply with its discovery obligations, as well as with the courts on management orders. And the court also finds the people's actions amount to negligent and reckless disregard for their obligations and their duty to abide by court orders and rules. Um, They did not find that they're willful. So the court is saying he believes that a lot of these actions are not willful. However, they did leave out uh, 11 of the 16 witnesses. So he sanctions the crap out of the people for this. Uh, So on March 30th, the court excluded proffered expert witnesses. And these sanctions uh, on March 10th and 30, 2022, effectively excluded 11 out of 16 of the people's endorsed expert witnesses so in addition to the people not including witnesses the court has also excluded witnesses so basically we're not going to have any witnesses left
1: so they've botched this entire case
0: yeah they botched it but the the court is um
1: they should they should drop the charges and they should do the rest of the investigation and then recharge them
0: (laughs) Well, that's basically at this point they should do that. They should vacate the whole procedure, but they're not going to because you know obviously if they arrested him when people were saying that's probably a bad idea.
1: I, I was going to say, how yeah. does the court find it not willful?
0: Um, they found that it wasn't willful.
1: I mean, uh, if somebody if somebody on a professional level yeah. tells you like let's not do this yet, I mean, you, whatever you do against that is willful. <laughs>
0: I think he's just erring on the side of justice for Suzanne Morphe. Honestly, I read it, and I don't totally agree with his legal opinions. I was really coming from the perspective that I hope that this – so this is released on April the 8th. I hope that this guy in a week – I hope that the chief judge looks at this and goes, "Uh, none of this even makes sense. Because he basically at the end, he stacks up about eight violations against them for huge things. And says like there, they, none of those like warrant changes in the procedures or the bond amount or the charges, but the truth is like uh, they don't warrant that. What they warrant is them showing up for jury duty and the judge saying, "Okay, charges are dismissed." You know that's basically like when they show up to do voir dire and and set their trial date. This case this case is set to go to trial on April the twenty eighth, so it's set to go to trial. Uh, a week after people are hearing this, give or take, I mean, depends on when all well, of this releases, but
1: and obviously, that's probably not going to happen. I mean, it'll get scheduled out, but I, I think, but I, I don't know. But, um, you know, in this type of situation, uh, in honest, all honesty, just sort of knowing a little bit here and there about the case, uh, if that if the evidence of the unknown male DNA is presented, uh, if justice works, a jury would not find him guilty, right?
0: Uh, a jury might find him guilty, but the appellate okay. court would have no choice but to overturn this on the first
1: trial. Well, try. but I'm not, yeah, I'm not talking about the courts there. What I'm saying is, like, how could any jury, being the finder of facts in a case, look at that without any explanation from anybody about any of it? there's just this DNA that's unknown, right? That's in these consistent places. I don't think a reasonable person would look at that and say, well, we can just pretend that doesn't exist and convict this guy.
0: Well, I think the idea of leaving it out and they left it out at several junctures in the preliminary hearings, um, in 2021, I think the idea was that, so, you know, it's interesting because This is not going to become a Brady violation where they have withheld esculpatory information because of the way this has gone down. My guess is they're trying to get it excluded as being unrelated. Okay.
1: so I, how would they do that?
0: I, I don't know. Like
1: them, they not, would say that this is so from so, the car manufacturer or something like that. But they haven't done the testing to say that, well, right? How,
0: then how do you explain the bike and the and the bike helmet? Well,
1: I don't know. I was just saying, like the the there, things that you would present to get evidence ruled out would be this no, is the explanation thinking for it.
0: Cross contamination. Something happened. Yeah, the lab. it sounds,
1: it sounds like they've ruled out that stuff.
0: It doesn't sound like they've addressed it at all. They haven't written anything down on purpose. That,
1: it said that here, um, Barry here, Morphew didn't match it, right?
0: That, that's what it said. But here's and what I'll that tell the you. Here, here's what I'll tell you. When this many cops get in a room with a sheriff and a CBI agent and all of the prosecutors, because they list like eleven people here, if they all get in a room together and they are not writing anything down, it's because everybody in the room is lying. That is the only reason that happens.
1: Every single person who lives there, I don't live wherever this is happening. I don't know what county the sheriff is the sheriff of.
0: Chaffee County Sheriff, and this is in Fremont County Court.
1: Garfield,
0: yeah, Garfield Huh. Colorado, and um, I guess this would be Cannon City, Colorado.
1: That's actually weird that it's two different. But um, the people who uh, I would say that uh, the sheriff represents uh, who elected him as sheriff, um, you do not want a sheriff of your county who is willing to, like you were saying, you know, get all these people together in a room and have this meeting but not write anything down. That's bad. Okay. Um you know, the fact of the matter is this DNA exists regardless of whether they write it down or not. Right. Uh, the facts of the situation are what they are. And you, you don't want officials who are overlooking things like this and not mentioning things like this because they're actually not doing their job.
0: Well, well so this guy, uh, and I don't know him. When I say uh, his name, I don't know him, but Cahill, is the guy that's representing CBI. And he, unfortunately, he sort of gets thrown under the bus here because it's his notes and his logs and his due diligence that moved all of this forward on behalf of his agency, like he was supposed to do doing his job, that end up with a code hit. And he's the one like he like is tasked like I don't know how to explain this to people, but it's like he's tasked with the idea, his supervisor wants to know what is the scenario that those four items can have this DNA on them that relates to this case. So the, he has to go and draft something. And what he has to draft is, uh, like a supporting scenario that this could be the suspect. And he does. And it's pretty smart. It's uh, and it's not in here, but in the, it's one of these things they didn't write down. I put that in big air quotes, but it's probably something like, uh, the guy was in the back of her car when she was out at blah, blah, blah. Um, he, Made entry to the car. He sat down, you know, in the back seat. She drove off. Uh, he grabbed her. Uh, did whatever with her. He ends up driving the car briefly. He checks the glove box. He decides that he's going to throw her uh, bicycle and her helmet out. Uh, so, th- you know, you account for all these things that he touched, whoever this person is with this unknown DNA. and Or, you know, a different scenario would be like she was at a store. He got into the back seat or looked in the glove box found her home address and then came there and lied in wait, saw her leave on her I, bicycle and followed her.
1: I guess that's I don't how. understand why that would be happening. Why, um, what would be
0: happening? you got to know why is there DNA in these spots in this vehicle?
1: Yeah, but that would be like why you identify who left the DNA and you ask them why it's there.
0: No, you don't because it goes like this. if If the DNA is only on her right shoe that's in her closet, And her, you know, uh, her bicycle. Then the assumption is that this guy, like, leaned down to pick something up by her bicycle, touched her shoe, and touched that. They have to come up with a scenario here where this is a reasonable person to suspect. You're sort of reversing course on something you said early on, like, in this episode. Uh, This is in multiple places.
1: Right, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in this scenario specifically, which my understanding is it's a point of contention with some of the investigators. That, it's a point of contention with some of the investigators that this DNA exists and that that's why they were saying hold off on the arrest. They weren't saying don't arrest and they were saying just hold off on it. Okay. And so based on that, it seems to me like they would be looking uh, in with the end goal being for Barry Morphew to be arrested, if that's what they think, you know, has happened, they would innocently explain away this DNA sample.
0: Yeah, like, they would either explain it away as, I think you reference some mechanic working on the car, which, you know...
1: Right, but you were just saying that, um, you know, the detective had to come up with a scenario. Well, anybody could write a story. I mean...
0: No, 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 no. That's not what it says in his communication log. His communication log says that after he was assigned this scenario... uh, I'll read the sentence specifically. Uh, It's It's a weird sentence, and, like, normally I would go, wait, what are they talking about? All right, so it says... In a communications log, which was admitted into the court, Caitlin Rogers memorialized a conversation with Mr. Cahill. The communications log specifically states that Mr. Cahill thinks the parcel match relates to the suspect who perpetrated the crime. So she logged having a conversation where he said, I don't think this is just DNA. I think this is your suspect. And in his Scenario, he was talking about just the DNA on the rear passenger seat and the DNA found on the glove box. So at this um, point in time, he submitted a forensis, forensic al- analysis request for those two items. They were submitted to CODIS.
1: And they matched.
0: They matched. Partially. They, they, yeah, they, that profile that was developed matched. But they did not yet know that it was also from the bike helmet and the bike.
1: Okay. And so that must have been where the trickle of information that I got out of the situation came from. Um, and so based on that alone, okay. Uh, there it's not that they can't ever arrest Barry Morphew for this. They've got to have an explanation for that. Um, because of where it's found. And what I mean by that is they've got to be able to say, this DNA belongs to this person. And this is why it was there. And that person would need to testify if they want to convict Barry Morphew without that, you've got unknown male DNA found in multiple places related to the crime. It it is like the very definition of reasonable doubt right and that's what see
0: that's that's where i bang him a head on the wall cuz the judge did a nice thing here and he put relevant witness testimony into summary so for the january 24th through 25th um, and then the february 1st hearings he summarized each person who spoke and why it was an issue. Like, so he starts with Commander Alex Walker. This is the guy who wrote the long like arrest document. And you've seen these before. They're like massive and things repeat themselves. But this is a 129-page uh, arrest affidavit that he is having a judge sign so that he can arrest Barry Morphe. That's the whole purpose of this document. And he says on January 24th, the court heard testimony from Commander Alex Walker. A uh, meeting was convened on September 2nd, 2021, with CBI analyst, this, this is the girl who did the DNA, Caitlin Rogers. The defense learned of the meeting because Mrs. Rogers kept a communication log and provided it to the defense like she was supposed to. The people never disclosed the meeting to the defense or what was discussed. In attendance was Sheriff Spezzi, uh, Detective Burgess, Jeff Lindsay, Mark Holbert, Aaron Pembleton, Jonathan Grusing, Ken Harris, Derek Graham, and many, many other investigative personnel. we well, already named a dozen people, so I don't know how many, many other there are. Uh, in the meeting, this group of individuals discussed, among other things, who to test next, who to swab, and where the investigation was heading. The individuals were still actively trying to determine who the unknown foreign male DNA belonged to at this time. Commander Walker did not take any notes and did not generate a report. Neither did any other law enforcement personnel, including the district attorneys. Uh, but at, uh, it says exhibit 10 entered into evidence was an email setting up the meeting produced by Caitlin Rogers. It's the only record of the meeting. Alex Walker did not think he needed to turn over the email because it was just a logistical in nature. You know, it has contained scheduling information only Walker agreed with the defense that the meeting discussed exculpatory information, but no one took notes or generated a report. So on August 2nd, 2021, Alex Walker had a meeting with Cahill to discuss the DNA CODIS match. No notes were taken, yet Alex Walker conceded the topic of the discussion was also exculpatory. There are three meetings regarding the unknown male DNA and CODIS match. No notes were taken at any of the three meetings, nor were any reports issued. Uh, Alex Walker believed he saw the CODIS match information on August twenty of 20, August of 2021, but the report and attachments were not disclosed to the defense until September 2021. The initial CODIS match letter regarding the three CODIS hits from Megan Doogie at the FBI was received by law enforcement on May 19th of 2021 and was later turned over to the defense. But Alex Walker testified that he did not know about the CODIS match letter when he drafted the probable cause affidavit, which is signed by him on May 4th, 2021. So he wouldn't have then, but he should have shortly thereafter. And then they start playing games.
1: Well, it sounds like the whole thing is a game because um, I know that in the, once you've been called out for doing something stupid, like you've got to give some sort of, um, you know, I mean, I, I want to say defense, but it's not like they're really going to get in trouble. This is just an argument, an adversarial you know, process for the court, right? Yeah. So why did you do this? Well, your answer isn't going to be because I'm stupid, right? And so I'd like to think that, you know, so basically they're saying, well, why didn't anybody take notes? And they're like, well, it was just logistical. and. I, having sort of a smart mouth sometimes, would say, if you believe that meeting was just logistical, I will accept your resignation.
0: Well, no, he wanted to say the email was just logistical. But he was, like, their whole point of of burying, what
1: was... He said that the reason that, he said that the meetings were just logistical. They didn't, that's why there were no notes taken.
0: Yeah. Well... He didn't turn over proof of the meeting. Caitlin Rogers did, and he didn't include anything right. about but the meeting because nobody wrote anything
1: down about the meeting. Right, but see, he, then the response is, "Well, it was just logistical." Well, the actual, real response is, "Well, I'm stupid. I don't know how to do my job," well, and <laughs> you know, and and you can't really answer that, right? Because you can't say like, "Oh, well." It makes perfect sense now that you say it that way. I should have been taking notes and doing it. But this is a guy's life, and it's a woman's more than likely murder, right? Yeah. Um, And you've got these guys that are, like, talking with one another and hiding things, which every time, you know, the prosecution and law enforcement are hiding these things, uh, it is not good for the defense. And what I mean by that is... They should have all had the meeting together, okay? And the defense should be kept in the loop because in this type of situation, it is adversarial, okay? But it's not sneaky, right?
0: What do uh, you—yeah, it's not supposed to be—this is like more like intelligence bullshit. This is like something the CIA would do that they're doing here.
1: Right, which it's not never to be happened never the
0: local prosecution in a level. criminal trial ever yes yeah, yeah, so okay so I will say it in these three sentences to let everyone know like why this is a problem you literally now have evidence pointing to a suspect that suspect is not your defendant and is currently unknown you have decided that the evidence and that suspect don't matter so you can go after the defendant in your head. You're not ready to arrest anyone. You're not ready. And so it goes on. These summaries go on. They talk to the former district attorney. They talk to Detective Robin Burgess. And then they talk to Joseph Cahill. But what happens is everybody starts saying, I thought uh, Cahill took care of it. I thought Cahill took care of it. So the letter that you get from the FBI when it's a CODIS match, it explains the match And you get case numbers, contact information, locations, and probably dates to compare with other investigators in other places, instances where you have similar genetic material matches. So you're matching each other. You're given this information. And what Detective Robin Burgess says is that he followed up I put that in quotes with an Illinois detective that was identified in the CODIS letter received on May 19, 2021, and that he was under the impression that the Phoenix and Tempe matches had been followed up on already or were being otherwise handled. He doesn't go far as to specify what was going on until the judge asked him specifically. And he says that he was under the impression, the same impression that Alex Walker, that, you know, Joseph Cahill had followed up on it and he even says that agent Cahill told detective Burgess that it was taken care of. That turns right, out to taken, not be yeah, taken was, care of.
1: <laughs> it was taken care of in that, like, I'm just going to ignore this and we're going to put her husband away and we're good.
0: No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. What detective Cahill did was, uh, Hey boss, These morons are about to arrest Barry Morphew. Can you please stop it?
1: Oh, he's on that side. Okay, I'm sorry. Agent
0: Agent Cahill taking care of it when he said that basically meant our bosses are going to work this out and you guys aren't going to do anything stupid except they had already done the stupid stuff.
1: Okay, I understand, I think, everything you just said. My question would be, like, if everything's taken care of, could you give me the information you gathered? Because my case is still open, and I need to know who it is that partially matched the profile from my case.
0: No, his point was, I'm saying it's taken care of, and the big boys are going to go talk about it. Like, I can't tell you because I don't know.
1: I see. But okay. I
0: can't tell you that I don't know, and I'm not allowed to email you, and I can't call you and leave a message, and I can't put anything else in this log.
1: Well, this uh, illustrates a really good point, which would be that, like, we can have all the DNA matches in the world, like matching evidence to crime scenes, matching partially matching people, and if we don't have the flow of communication and comprehension to make it into something, it's useless. It's worthless. You know, so I'm just saying that, you know, that's another hurdle that's going to have to be overcome because in this situation, they have everything they need to solve all these cases. Yeah. To the extent that the unknown DNA becomes a known profile, right?
2: Yeah.
1: And they're just, they're choosing not to do it or I'm not really sure what's happening there. I do think though that, uh, don't you think it's, as opposed to uh maybe like Malfeasance wouldn't you say that it's just like they uh one of the investigators would say we've done so much work and i'm so sure that her husband did it this is why we've taken this path
0: that's that's totally what they would say they think they're right
1: that's right. what they're
0: saying they they do not let your evidence that Matt's is a criminal stand in the way of my defendant that I've already decided in my head is the defendant.
1: Right. And so that's where innocent people end up going to jail.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And And not even on purpose. It's not like they're sitting there going, I hate Barry Morphew. It's just, I decided that the husband did it and I, you know, don't have the critical thinking skills or the thought capacity to get out of a $50,000 a year job. So instead I have made this the, one of the perks of my job is I get to decide what is correct and what is not damn the courts.
1: Right. And that's just, it's the type of person that nobody wants investigating uh, crimes like this correct. that are serious because uh, we are the ones who end up suffering for that because you know, the evidence is there. There's no reason for it.
0: Well, I, the way that this order is written um, before this goes to trial, I highly, Expect that there will be an appeal of the order, which is going to sound weird, but like it doesn't make sense to say. Well,
1: that what is the order people... order?
0: Well, so the conclusion of the court is the court finds whereas for the reasons stated above and the court's discretion, uh, the court concludes as follows. One, the court finds a continuing pattern of uh, inability and failure to comply with discovery rules. They find that the people's actions amount to negligent and arguably reckless disregard for discovery rules and the ability to uh, abide by court orders. It does not find that the people's actions amount to willfulness. Uh, The defense requests the following sanctions. Dismiss the case, reduce the charges, set a reasonable bond, i.e. reduce the current bond. uh, Reimbursement of attorney fees and costs for time and expenses occurred. Uh, The court finds the following as it relates to Uh, the request for sanctions on March 10th, 2022, the court sanctioned the people for their continuing continued violations related to expert disclosures and numerous uh, experts were excluded. As a result, the court excluded the following prosecution experts, Megan Doogie, Andrew McDermott, Kevin Hoyland, uh, James Stevens, Kenneth Hicks, Alex Walker, Andy Horick, uh, Jonathan Grusing, Derek Graham, Ken Harris. So they were excluded as expert witnesses and then that second set were not permitted to provide expert testimony but could provide lay opinions and then uh, caitlin rogers was allowed to provide expert t- testimony but restricted to the four corners of her current report four corners of a report means whatever's on paper she can talk about it but she cannot go outside of the four corners of what she has already put on paper on march 30th 2022 the court excluded another proffered expert witness which is doug spence albeit Uh, This is based upon the stipulation of the people. These sanctions on March 10th and March 30th effectively excluded 11 of the 16 of those witnesses. Um, Three additional experts were excluded on other grounds. Considering the witnesses, the court had already excluded a sanction for the people's discovery violations. The court does not find a reduction of the charges to be an appropriate remedy. The court is also mindful that defense is now in possession of exculpatory information, which... uh, cures much of the prejudice because they have it in their hands basically uh the court did not find willfulness on the part of the people therefore dismissal of the case is beyond the court's discretion basically he's saying because he thinks they did it because they're stupid not because they're corrupt he can't kick the case because he they would have to be corrupt for him to kick the case does that make the sense to that sentence
1: Right. Uh, yeah.
0: So then the court does not find reducing the bond is an appropriate sanction because basically he's already out, I think, on bond. Regarding the internal affairs file that's been denied relating to request for sanctions as the people do not have constructive possession of some IA file, I don't know exactly what that is yet. Uh, there's, there's something related to the Range Rover data that's denied because – The court does find that the people failed yet again to comply with the court's disclosure deadline related to the data. And as to the motivation behind removing agent Cahill from the case, the court does not find a discovery violation. Uh, However, the defense is free to inquire about it uh, at trial before jury. The court uh, concludes additional sanctions are not appropriate at this time. However, the court will serve as this order will serve as a baseline for future orders related to discovery violations uh, case is set for trial to begin on April 20, 2022. So, this judge just probably wrecked the case in a way, he did the defense a favor.
1: Well, um, it sounds like that was very uh heavy, heavily geared towards the defendant, but uh, you were saying that you think the order will be appealed. What were you thinking? Uh, like what part of it?
0: Well, he uses the word willful and then states he didn't find anything was willful. So, I mean, that alone would be my basis for the appeal. He's basically saying. That they did all of this on purpose, but somehow that doesn't amount to willful discovery violations. Uh, the whole idea that Agent Cahill has been removed from this—it's uh, a basically—that's what wrecks the case. So I'm this from the other did, suspect, he's been removed.
1: Well, like, did he
0: quit though? <laughs> possibly. I, I would have quit. I would have quit over this one. Like this, <laughs> This is, like, this is one of those cases that, like, I only dig into it from the technical legal side right now because nothing's been decided by a jury. I, right. happen to I have... personally believe he's not guilty.
1: Well, um, and so with the DNA evidence, that's a big, big question mark in my head. I got to know where that came from. Um, but, you know, beyond. Well, note my
0: word. I didn't say he's innocent. I said I personally believe. He's not guilty.
1: Well, and uh, my opinion, uh, in this type of case, for the most part, uh, what I know about this case, for the most part, uh, you know, everything statistically indicates that this guy probably did it. Okay. Barry Murphy. Yes. But here's the thing. The DNA, the one unknown male DNA being found in all those places like it was to me is it undoes everything I know about the case statistically. And what I mean by that is when a woman goes missing and she's presumed to be dead, the majority of the time it was her significant other that did it. It just, that's right. the way it is. Okay. It's just not a whole lot of people would have had the access to pull off a crime like this besides her husband. Right. Yeah okay and so statistically i've got that in the back of my head it and even the one uh sample of the dna wasn't enough for me to really even start considering it anything else but this is different all these different places that this one unknown male dna was found okay so this isn't a situation where um you know, it's casual contact because that could be several, you know, samples of DNA that result in profiles, right? And so if you you know, if if something shows up and it's got twenty-five unknown DNA profiles, well, it's a pretty safe bet that all twenty-five people are not involved, right?
0: I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you and I have looked at this over the years as we begin to understand DNA more and more. We also begin to understand how, where, and when you find it matters. It
1: it becomes relevant. And in this particular case, now I don't have access to this evidence. I I haven't looked at it. I'm going by what I'm being told, right? Which it sounds to me like depending on which way you go, it could be very different, right?
0: Well, this is a judge basically laying out like uh, what he thinks is going on.
1: As far as them saying like, uh, you know, the two sides of it don't arrest him, you know, arrest him. And so, um, this is very, very relevant in this, uh, criminal prosecution and it's enough. And so it doesn't, you know what? It doesn't even matter. Like if I think he's guilty or not, I do happen to believe that, uh, when unknown DNA shows up like it has here, uh, They've got to figure out whose DNA that is, um, and that you know, if they figure it out and there is some sort of explanation for it, whatever it might be, right? To me, that would help get rid of the reasonable doubt that the unknown.
0: You don't arrest a suspect until you rule out that person who left their DNA in very relevant places,
1: and absolutely. I absolutely. Understand-
0: but here's the thing like the minute they got that letter they should have backed off you don't double down
1: right and so that's where i feel like the justice system is like that is broken because how is that the reaction of prosecutors like don't they want to know whose dna it is
0: Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram, at truecrimexs, or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at truecrimexs at gmail.com, and you can check out our website at www.truecrimexs.com. We'll see you next time. This True Crime XS yeah. J'en veux recorded in cases where there's like a looming legal question so we debated if we were even going to put this episode up i'm putting it up now with this addendum because the information will seem a little outdated but i think it will illuminate what's been going on in this case so i'm putting it up because we do talk about this episode uh down the down the line a little ways and i I didn't want it to seem like really out of order Cause I had originally decided I wasn't going to use this information that we discuss here, but now we are going to use it and I'm putting it into the feed. It doesn't fit with the narrative of like the insurance and financial motives murders that we're covering right now, but I'm including it because it ties into some of the future episodes. So this is uh, we'll call it a bonus, a bonus episode.